0: procedure we're still in the stages of discovery and now we're talking about making sure that people follow the rules and what happens if people don't follow the rules a lot of this is going to be well we've talked about sanctions previously and sanctions are going to apply here but it's really how do we make sure that people are following the rules in our case here is Zubalaki versus UBS Warburg LLC. What happened here is that Zubalaki was fired, uh, and she's claiming it was because of discrimination, and so she's trying to get information, emails from this company. And I'm just going to go ahead and go through my notes. There's a lot here about what happens and how this all works. So, so this is a case where UBS is engaging in a practice called spoliation, And spoliation is just simply the destruction of evidence. And because of spoliation, the jury in this case was instructed to make an adverse inference about the emails. And so what that adverse inference means is that you're supposed to look at the emails since they were destroyed, and you're looking at them as if they are something incriminating against the person who destroyed them. So when an attorney engages in spoliation it actually leads to them potentially being disbarred. When a client engages in spoliation like it does here, well, the evidence is going to be considered against them, the adverse inference, and they can also be sanctioned, meaning fines can be done against them. Here, in this case, UBS is claiming that the emails were not discoverable because it was unduly burdensome for them to recover them. So they deleted them, but they were still stored away in some place. And because these emails were still stored away, it is their responsibility to preserve those emails and to restore those emails when asked for upon discovery because they shouldn't have deleted them in the first place. So although the plaintiff in this case has the burden to prove uh, the preponderance of the evidence uh, is going to favor them, the defendant still has to produce all relevant evidence, at least if they are asked for it. If they're not asked for it, no need to produce it. And so, when the request I uh, that uh, Zubilanki had meant uh, sent for these emails and brought back less emails than what Zubilanki had even had on her, by herself with conversations she had with others, I uh, it really adds a whole lot of suspicion about. UBS deleted these emails, and they did it on purpose. So what's your takeaway from this case? Do not delete stuff. And how's it going to work as far as the process, the proper process, outside of this case? We're moving on to just the different principles now. How's this process work? Well, the term of art is called a litigation hold. Uh, The moment you know that you can be sued, as an attorney, you need to tell your client, Keep these documents. Do not delete them. And that is called a litigation hold. These facts are not privileged information. They can be discoverable. So we, as far as the exam goes, uh, we issue the litigation hold not only when the lawsuit is filed, but it's also sent as soon as legislation is reasonably expected or anticipated. In an employment termination case like this one was, a litigation hold is going to be issued pretty much immediately after the termination happened because you can expect to be sued for terminating somebody from their position. If the litigation hold is ignored by the client, well, that's spoliation, uh, and because you're deleting evidence, And then the opposing counsel is going to request that the judge to instruct for an adverse inference. If the attorney discovers that evidence was destroyed by the client, the attorney does have to disclose that information to the court. At that point, the opposing attorney is going to, again, ask for an adverse inference. Okay, so what's the process for if a litigation hold is ignored? Let's just sum this all up. First, you're going to issue the litigation hold and that's going to be any pending or reasonable anticipation of litigation. You want to make sure that that litigation hold is issued in both writing and it is dated. Uh, So the second part of this process is the hold is going to be ignored by the client because they engage in spoliation. Uh, That's going to be the changing or destruction of evidence, and that existence of spoliation is going to be discovered in discovery. The third step At trial, there's going to be a motion for instruction of adverse inference. So the attorney is going to make the motion and the judge is going to either grant or deny an instruction, meaning we're going to tell the jury, look at this negatively. And then the fourth step is that we're going to have a jury ruling. A person who wants this adverse inference instruction needs to show three things. First, is the party that you want it to be against has control over the evidence and they had an obligation to preserve it at the time it was destroyed. So, the moment you reasonably anticipate litigation, that's when it needs to be preserved and you need to show it was not preserved at that time. Uh, second, you need to show that the records were destroyed with a culpable state of mind. This is going to be facts. Specific, Did they purposefully, knowingly, uh, or negligently destroy this evidence? Uh, And third, that the evidence that was destroyed is actually relevant to the party's claim or defense, uh, such that a reasonable trier, uh, a jury, could find that it would support the claim or defense. And what's the penalties that happen if this rule is not followed? Well, that's... Set out in Rule thirty seven e, and that's the penalties for failing to preserve electronically stored information. What happens here? You just assume it's unfavorable to the party. So that's your big punishment. Uh, sanctions are possible, um, but ultimately it's going to be disfavorable image, which does not look good uh, because the jury is most likely to rule heavily against you. What are the key questions we need to ask? First, when does the duty to preserve arise? That's going to be reasonably expected in uh, litigation. What is the scope of the duty to preserve? That's going to be anything relevant to the claim or defense. And then what documents must be preserved? That's going to be everything relevant. Our second case here is Legora Foods versus Griffith Labs. It was a Uh, There is some pepperoni, and uh, Griffith Labs adds some herbs on it, herbs on it. And uh, the pepperoni place is saying, your herbs made this spoil bad sooner than it was supposed to. And so it's in discovery, and they're sending interrogatories between each other. And uh, so this is a different kind of bad conduct. They're sending boilerplate interrogatories, meaning they just have copy-and-paste questions that they're asking. They're not specific enough, and the judge is not happy about it. Uh, because at this point, if the judge is involved, because the judge isn't supposed to be involved in discovery, uh, a Rule 37 was created, parties can't agree on what's discoverable, what's not. Um, there's motions to de- and compel, that's Rule 37, and there's uh, 36C, which is a protective order, judges involved. It's like, what's going on? And it's like, well, they won't answer my questions. And the other part is like, well, they won't answer my questions. And both parties are like, I don't have to answer your questions. And the judge looks at it, and both of them are written unclear because they're too vague, too broad, and would do a lot of work for both parties. So he says, nope, go, go and make these more specific. Uh, They both go, they come back, and pretty much no change. Still really vague, uh, very unspecific, and it's just how these attorneys were trained. uh, To use boilerplate, just copy-paste your questions, and this is how it's going to work. Well, ultimately, the judge is going to say, no, this is a bad practice. you got to stop using it. I could issue sanctions, but I'm not. Uh, So again, by using boilerplate objections, those could lead into bad results for the uh, plaintiff as well. Well, not just plaintiff, but any party requesting or preventing from answering questions that are done by boilerplate means. So that's really our summary as far as what bad things could happen to you. Uh, Big takeaways, don't delete stuff. Uh, There's going to be a litigation hold. If you don't follow that, there's going to be an adverse inference against you. And then also just engaging good questions of asking for specific information. And that's our big takeaways. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to LawSchoolers.com join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it